one born in this millennium has a better than evens chance of living to age 100. Even if you're 60, there's a good chance you'll live past 90. Yet most of the financial advice we see is based around a time when people live shorter lives and it hasn't aged well and is probably wrong. The Century Plan looks at the financial decisions needed to maintain a comfortable lifestyle where your money outlives you and not the other way around. I'm Dennis Hall, I'm a Chartered Financial Planner and I've been giving people financial advice for almost 40 years. And I'm Sarah Steele, I work with Dennis and I'm here to ask questions on behalf of you, our listeners, and to keep things on the right side of technical. Okay, Dennis, are you ready to start? Yes, I am. Good, because today's episode is all about timing. And we're always on time. Yes. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Why are we talking about timing today, Dennis? Because it's one of the most frequent questions that I get when I'm sat in front of somebody who who has got to make a decision about um, taking money out of the markets, you know, or, or putting money in, more frequently putting money in. Mm. You know, should I wait is now the right time. Um, it's, a, it's a conversation that's wrapped up with a lot of fear, I think, about okay. that everybody wanted to make the right decision all the time. Okay, so are we going to be touching on the active versus passive argument today? I don't want to get into the argument, but I think it's, it's very much related. Mm. Um, you know, we know my thoughts on, on active investment management. Yeah. Um, there are some good managers out there, but they are rare. Um, the ability to outperform the market is is not consistent. Um, and I think the same thing applies to timing. In fact, Paul Lewis of, of Moneybox fame uh, tweeted something very recently uh, uh, about, uh, he'd read somewhere about advisors who are telling their clients to drip feed money into the market. And he was saying that, that that's very wrong. And I think from a logical perspective, he might be right. There's some evidence about that. We can cover that later. But I think when it comes to these big emotional decisions that people make, he's wrong. Okay. Are we talking about pound cost averaging? Well, I I think that's what a lot of advisors, perhaps if they're talking to people about timing into the market, there is something about pound cost averaging. You know, if if you've got a fluctuating market and you're drip feeding in, it's I think that's more to do with regular savings, but there's something about pound cost ravaging, right. which is a, a sort of a, a, a newer phrase, which is taking money out of the markets, as more and more people are going to do when they reach retirement and they've got their lump sums. Um, how do you extract that money to make your or provide that income that you want in a markets that may be fluctuating? And if you're taking money out of markets when they're down. Hmm. That's the ravaging bit. Okay. I see. Um, yeah. And we might get onto that a little later on. Okay. All right. So, what's driving the question? Um, what's driving people to try and make this decision? Well, there are lots of instances these days where people have got to make a decision about lump sums. I mean, we could sit here and list a few now. For example, I mean, I've been dealing with pension transfers. You know, okay. people who transfer money from one pension to another and they've got a lump sum. When's the time to invest it? Um, Maybe when people have come into an inheritance. Inheritance, that's a good yeah. one. Downsizing, we've just had a, 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 I'm just speaking to some clients last week who, who have sold a property in London and downsized to another part of the country, uh, which has freed up a significant amount of capital. Selling businesses. Yeah. There are lots of instances where, where a, a, a sizable sum of money lands and it's, it's usually at times when you don't really get a second bite of the cherry. 
okay. you know, selling a business, yeah. retiring, um, downsizing. It's it's kind of that stage of your life where you are going to be relying on that capital to either support or supplement in income. Yeah. Okay. Um, All right. So um, this is probably going to be a relatively emotional decision that you're going to make, um, and that can be a driver. But what would logic say? Well, I think this is where we get back to Paul Lewis, and uh, and I think he was pointing people to um, some research that Vanguard had done um, also. And, and Vanguard are not the only people who have done some research on this. If the market, if we know the market goes up, but on a daily basis, the markets go up more days than it goes down. And it goes down slightly further on the days that it goes down than it goes up on the days up. But if you look at it overall, that sounded confusing, doesn't it? But if you look at it overall, sort of annually, the average return from a developed world market after some charges might be around 8% a year. So statistically speaking, if the market is always going to go up and it's going to go up more days than not, um, you're better off being invested. Okay, so that's that's the logic. Um, I mean, I understand that, uh, but... Are there ever times when we should override that logic? Would we? <laughs> is it going to help us sleep at night or make us not be able to sleep at night if we choose to do that? I think you've, you've probably answered the question. I mean, th- my answer would be, yeah, sometimes it's absolutely right to override the logic. Investing a lump sum of money isn't a, a, a big emotional trigger. And if you are unable to sleep at night having made a big decision, mm. um, is that going to be right for you? Really? Uh, we know that people feel the effect of a loss more than they feel the pleasure of a gain yeah. um, in all kinds of, of, of life. So the idea of maybe drip feeding into a market if we've got a large sum of money and potentially missing out on some of the gain has got to feel a lot better than putting it into the market and experiencing um, a fairly immediate loss. Okay. So that's that, that's one area, uh, and, and we meet people all the time who do who want to do this. You can present the evidence, you can present the logic, um, and and I'm you know I'm aware that people I've met very few people, very few. I can count on one hand the people who said, okay, let's just put all the money in now today. Yeah, um, scary. They don't do it. I don't do it. Okay, and I know what the logic says. Sometimes there are things that are happening in the world where I think on a balance of probability there is, there is more volatility uh, ahead of me that I just might want to hedge my bets. But what I do do is not try to create a situation where I'm continuously thinking and worrying all the time. So a question I ask myself and a question I ask my, my, my clients is if we have this sum of money over what period of time would you like to invest that and how frequently would you like to do that? And that may range from six months to 18 months, perhaps, depending on the size of, of, of the amount they've got to invest. Mm. And we may say, let's just do that in equal tranches over the, you know, every, every two months for the next year or, or whatever it happens to be. But having made that decision, yeah. stick to it. Okay. Otherwise, you're just going to come back and find all the reasons why you will or won't do something again. And that's not allowing you to enjoy yourself. Okay. And that's kind of something we've touched on before about do it, 
and then try and forget about it. Get yourself into a position where the, the plan is one that you feel is really strong um, so that you don't immediately change your mind as soon as you see something happening that's uh, Yeah, I mean, remember, impact. we are trying to do something that's going to that's going to be working for our clients over the next 20 30 or years or longer yeah is that um we're not going to necessarily get the time we're not going to get the timing right no and what are the chances of doing that um what we want to be able to do is allow people to uh, not fret and not worry so just come up with a strategy that they can live with and it will be different from one person to another okay so you don't feel bad if you are not brave enough to put everything in all at once because from what you're saying the majority of people you deal with choose not to do that but yeah and, and you know exactly that yeah okay well that's that's us that's sort of you know real life people but what about professional fund managers um you know they're they're not driven by emotion or they certainly shouldn't be driven by the emotion can they time the market um Again, consistently, I don't think so. But I'm not entirely sure that they're not driven by emotion. Right. I mean, if your job depends on making good decisions mm. and your job depends perhaps on not being too much of an outlier in, in times of poor performance, maybe you are going to make decisions that will protect you as the fund manager as much as it's trying to protect the fund. Yeah. So I think there is some emotion involved in there. Um, the, the evidence that we've seen would suggest that fund managers are also um, very bad market timers. Uh, I know that there were some there were some studies done following the um, the, the credit crunch you know, back yeah. in 2000, 2008 um, that showed that the majority of fund managers were too slow to get out of the market, so they were coming out part you know down the down the uh, downward curve of, the, of performance and then they were too slow to get back in so they missed some of the recovery yeah. and, and and again if we look over those periods um, those people that have remained invested have, have done okay we know that the consistency of, of even top fund managers isn't there you've got um, Bill Gross of PIMCO yeah. a phenomenal fund manager managed more bond money than anyone else in the world at one point um, but he had some periods of real poor performance long-term capital management um, these people that nearly that nearly caused the entire banking crisis at one point so I was reading about this fund manager hedge fund manager called um, Philip Jabra yeah I think that's how you pronounce it who managed to lose a whopping 300 million dollars in three days mm -hmm trying to time the market following an earthquake in Japan. So the earthquake in the Japan, markets fell, he thought he was going to buy in at the bottom, put his money in, the markets continued to fall. He lost his nerve very quickly mm. um, and sold out, and then the markets turned, and that's when he'd crystallised a 300 million loss in right. three days. Wow, that's a pretty painful story. Um, so this might be a bit of a strange question, but on the back of what you are just saying, do you think you can pick a winner, Dennis, if... If you do want to do that, do you think you can find a fund manager to work for you um, that's going to make the money for you? Well, clearly they exist. They yeah. do exist, but I think they're very rare. And again, all of the research that, that has been done, that, that sort of past performance research, sometimes is unable to determine whether that outperformance by some managers is luck 
or is it real alpha, i.e. they're delivering something mm. over and above what the market would have normally delivered? Um, and, you know, for, for, for Bill Gross, people were saying, yes, there was some skill there, but it's not a skill he was able to maintain. I mean, I can remember back in the early 90s, there was the fantasy fantasy fund manager oh, yeah, from, the, from the times. Yeah. Yeah. There was a pharmacist called Jayesh Manek, mm. who I think won the fantasy fund manager for about three, maybe five years in a row, yeah. to the point where in 1997, he, left farm, um, be, he stopped being a pharmacist and run his own investment fund called Manek Growth. That was in 1997. In the first three years... It had produced a 160% return. Okay. Phenomenal. Wow. Riding on the back of the tech, mm. you know, the tech upwave. Um, and then the tech crash came and it, his fund collapsed. 20 years later, they had to wind up the fund. And in the last 10 years of that fund, it had performed uh, to the tune of minus 55% when the average fund manager produced a plus 69%. Mm. So could you pick a winner? Well, the, yeah, again, it's timing. Yeah, exactly. But, if, but a lot of people wait to say, well, he's doing well, he's doing well, he's doing well. I'll go in now. Yeah. That might be the time when it just suddenly turns. Yeah. And we've seen this. I mean, it's... I, I don't know how true this story is, but Anthony Bolton, who, who ran the incredibly successful Fidelity Special Situations Fund said that although his fund produced something like 19.5% on average over the 25 years of his tenure, that's 90.5% a year on average, mm. he wasn't aware of any investor that had got any of that right. because they would buy and sell depending on how they thought, um, whether you know whether he was on... It, 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 it was on course or whether he'd lost his mojo at any one time. You know, there were yeah. long periods of underperformance. Yeah. So it's that classic cycle of people buying high and selling low, buying high and selling low, and repeating that activity until they're broke. Yeah. Um, yes, I think there are some fund managers out there, but really, how do you identify them? Because you don't need to get them at the beginning of their journey, not at the end, okay. and not try and time the fund manager as well. Right. Um, actually, you're just better off buying the index, yeah. forgetting about it, and, and dipping into that money 25 years later when you need it. Okay, all right. So that feels like there's an overriding message here. Um, Dennis, what, what would you say that is? For, for the people that are listening, um, you know, we've said we're talking about timing, timing the market. What, what's your sort of conclusion about that? How do you feel about it? I think that you need to manage your emotions first to make some decisions. Long term, most people are going to be better served by investing their money uh, and investing their money in the stock market rather than leaving it in, in cash uh, earning uh, interest. Getting it into the market is, is, is going to be tough, so manage the emotions, have a process to do that and then leave it, forget it. Mm. So you could perhaps do a little bit of, I suppose, hedging your bets if you've got significant events happening. Right. But look, I've I've had clients. Um, this is not a summary now, is it? But I had <laughs> I've right. had clients who tried to time the markets with them when when Trump was you know the elections when Trump was getting in. I'll just wait. I'll just wait, not knowing what was going to happen, and then missing the bounce. Right. I've had them do it the same with Boris Johnson and missing whatever was happening mm. there. And every time someone's tried to look at geopolitical events and saying I'm not going to do it now, and then finding out that they've missed, they just missed the upswing. They're just waiting too much. Okay. If it's a thirty-year journey. 
get on with it. Okay, Dennis, well, that's a really clear message. I don't think there's much more to say there. I can't think of anything else to say at the moment, except that the irony is this is a podcast about timing and this has perhaps been our shortest podcast to date. Yeah, but short and to the point. Okay, Okay. good. All right, well, um, that's it for this week. If anyone has any questions or any thoughts, let us know what you think. Otherwise, we'll look forward to seeing you next time.